I mentioned in class this morning, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. Um, I'm a little hormonal, I'm sorry. <laughs> this, this is... Um, Sixty-eight years ago was a special day in the Dawson family. That was my wife's birthday. And uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and say that now. So if I choke up during the middle of this, <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll, you can cut me some slack. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very special day uh, in, in, in the Dawson family and the Heron family too. And I'm so glad to see most of my family here this morning. Mom would be proud. Mom would be happy. But she was proud and happy of you all the time. Okay. There we go. Good. Dwight. Uh, I want to mention the hand sanitizer. That's a lighter subject. The hand sanitizers, the free stuff out there. I want to make sure that everybody understands where that came from. Uh, Stephen Anderson had uh, a storage house that had something like 40 to 60 pallets of this stuff in there. All of them, two, four, six, eight half-gallon, um, gallon-sized containers, 40 to 60 pallets of that that we found out about, he found out on, I think it was Tuesday, that the warehouse had to be emptied by Thursday. He was able to get a little bit of extension, but uh, all 40 to 60 pallets of that has found a home. Some of it is here for you to take. So I want to make sure that Stephen Anderson got credit for that. He didn't sell it, he gave it all away. So, and that's gone to some wonderful, wonderful charitable organizations in South Oklahoma City. And he, des he deserves recognition for that. He and Christiane, probably Christiane told him to do it, but that's a different story. Um, quick poll. Raise your hand if you believe in God. That's good. Kind of figured that. Kind of, kind of hoping for that, really, this morning. <laughs> if you believe in God, okay? Uh, next question. Have you ever spent much time with somebody who didn't believe in God? How did that go? Uh, kind, of, kind of an interesting experience. What did you say? What did you want to say? What did you want to do? Uh, how did you respond? Um, we're going to be talking about that this morning, uh, explaining God. How would you explain God? How, how would you explain God to somebody who didn't know anything about him or maybe somebody who did thought they knew something about him? Several years ago, I heard the story about a man who was a minister who was flying on a plane and uh, had, his, had his Bible out. He was just reading and studying away, probably preparing for his, his next lesson that he was going to preach. And, and the man sitting next to him noticed he was looking, kind of looked over, saw that reading the Bible, and he said, um, you some sort of church guy? And he said, yeah, he says, I'm a minister. He said, okay. He said, I don't believe in God. Paused for a minute. The minister didn't say anything. He says, I don't believe in this idea that there is some crazy old man who created the whole world and then just walked off and left it and let it get the shape it's in today. I don't like the idea of a God that, that punishes people because they mess up, which we all do. 
He said, if God really, really cared, he wouldn't let this happen. I don't believe in God. The minister thought for just a second and said, you know what? I don't believe in that God either. How would you respond? How would you respond? Would you try to defend? Would you try to, to um, this is going to be a problem. I don't know if it bothers the people at home, but it bothers me. It probably bothers y'all. But how would you respond? How would you explain God to somebody? That's what we're going to be talking about. How would you explain God? And why is that important? Well, hopefully that's kind of what we're here for, to share the gospel. And, and to share the gospel of the Son of God, you kind of have to believe in God. That, 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 that's a good point to start with. Lots of times I think we may take the wrong approach and and try to argue with somebody, try to overpower them, try to overlogic them. Um, some of us aren't that smart, and so trying to outsmart somebody else is usually a committing suicide. I like what Timothy Keller said. When somebody says something along the lines of, I don't believe in God, he says, describe the God you, uh, that you've rejected and describe the God that you don't believe in, because maybe I don't believe in him either. Maybe I don't believe in him either. I think a lot of people in our world have a, a misconception about God. Um, the reason this is so important and the reason that it applies to our, our study this morning John chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, the, the, the verses that came after. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. No man has seen God at any time. So even Moses, who got really, really close to God and uh, had all the side effects from being close to God, nobody's seen him. No man has seen God. So it's kind of, kind of speculation. It's kind of up to us to, to figure, okay, well, I, I think he's like this. I, I think he's like that. Put a values on them. It's called anthropomorphism. That's a fancy word that probably cost me about $50 based upon how much I had to pay to go to college. But anyway, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, that be Jesus Christ. We just talked about him in the first 14 verses. He has explained it. I can't explain God. If I try to, I'd probably do a miserable mess, but Jesus did. Jesus came along, and I love the way that John starts his chapter and, and he parallels it to Genesis chapter 1. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the very get-go. Uh, God is the creator, and Jesus Christ was there with him. Jesus Christ was him. Jesus Christ became flesh and, and dwelt among us. And while I'm on that, I'm going to get that real quick before I forget I love verse 14 from the message. It said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love it. Don't you love it? He moved into the neighborhood. Uh, that in and of itself explains an awful lot about God. That in and of itself explains it, this, this concept that God's sitting up there in heaven and doesn't, isn't inter, interacting with us. Uh, that's a gross misconception. God, as I recall, wasn't 
God of the Garden of Eden walking and talking and spending time with his children? Uh, didn't God send his son to this earth to move into the neighborhood? Uh, isn't God planning a homecoming for us all someday where we get to spend time with him, the son, the spirit for eternity? Okay, uh, our God is a hospitable God. I'm not sure everybody understands it. I'm not sure everybody believes it because I think a lot of people believe he is a hostile God. He's out to get me, punish me. Oh, yeah, he gives me this long set of rules that there's no way in the world I can ever comply with all of those. And then he punishes me for messing up. I don't believe in that God either. Even the song we just sang, and th this wasn't in my notes. I'm throwing this in uh, because I see the song we just sang just a few minutes ago. Said, he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. He kicked them out of Eden. Did you catch that in the song? Sometimes we revert back to that, that mean old God that just kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. For the record, for the record, and I, I, I may be wrong on this. I was wrong once and probably will be again sometime. Do you know why he removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden? It wasn't punishment like you probably been told. If you look at the scripture, it says, as long as they stay here, they will live forever. Do you want to live forever in sin? Staying in the Garden of Eden, now have sin introduced, that's not where you want to be. Let's get them out of here so I can send my son so we can get them back into a better Eden. We can get them into heaven. It was actually a blessing. Uh, I don't want to live forever. Um, the Green Mile, uh, if, you, if you saw that movie, that was one of the curses that came on. The, he didn't get to die. He was afraid he was never going to get to die. We talked about death in class this morning. It's horrible. Do you really want to live forever? In this body? In this life? Man, that would be a punishment if you didn't get to escape and go home. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus Christ is the very image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 through 3. And I, I, I love the New International Version uh, of this. Uh, and mine's a New American Standard Bible, so I had to get one out of the, out of the uh, library this morning. And I've got this one. It's a kid's study Bible. The kids are all gone. But it, it's kid's study Bible. I like it because it's got pictures in it. I don't know why they don't put... When we were little, they put pictures in Bibles, but they don't do that anymore. No, I miss that. In the past, God spoke to our people through the prophets. He spoke of many times. He spoke in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. He is the one whom God appointed to receive all things. God made everything through him. The son is the gleaming brightness of God's glory. He is the exact likeness of God's being. He uses his powerful world, word to hold all things together. He provided the way for people to be made pure from sin. Then he sat down at the right hand of the king. 
the majesty in heaven, so he became higher than the angels. The name he received is more excellent than theirs. God never said to any of the angels, you are my son, today I have become your father. Oh, so that's God. That's God. That's the God we see in Jesus Christ. That's the God that maybe we had the misconception. Maybe that's the God, not that we were necessarily wrong with the Old Testament, but that we didn't get all the way through the process. I like to think of it in, in, in terms of um, the Old Testament was a corporate covenant between God and Israel. It was made between God and the nation. Okay, it wasn't a personal thing. It was a corporate thing. That's why, that's why there were so many rules and regulations and everything about holidays, about, you know, all, all the kind of thing. Well, kind of like our government. You know, we have days off. You look on your calendar, the holidays, the, the official holidays and how much taxes you have to pay and all that kind of stuff. This was the relationship that they had in the Old Testament it was more of a corporate relationship. When Jesus comes along... He takes them home. He gets them out of the office and says, come home. Stay with me for a little while. Uh, let, me, let me introduce you to the boss. Let me introduce you to the creator. Let me introduce you to this God that maybe you've missed. Now, not all of them missed, to be sure. Not all of them missed. David obviously was a man after God's own heart, and he had that relationship. He developed a better understanding of God. And so he would write in the Psalms about this gracious, glorious God. But I think most of, it, most of the Jewish people had this God that, well, I've got to go to church again. So come on, pack up the kids, and we're going to go to church. And we're going to sit there, and we're going to do all of these things in, in, in temple worship. We're going to do all these things, and then we're going to come home and get back to the rest of our lives. Well, that's, if you only see God at the office, you don't really see God. You need to see him in your house. You need to see him living with you. And Jesus came and moved into the community and showed us a side that was, wasn't always apparent to everybody. Now, some people were David, I mentioned. Um, okay. Choke up time. There's Peggy's obituary. On the back are her two favorite scriptures. One of which is, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you, and his love will never... Uh, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Describe your God. Does your God rejoice over you with singing? Zephaniah did. Somehow, some way, so many of the Old Testament characters managed to break through the shell of religious structure, doctrines, traditions, what all of it, and got to see the God who wasn't somebody out to get them but somebody out to receive them. And somebody who really, really, really wanted them and wanted to sing over them, wanted to be so happy, so proud of them that, that he was just proud of his little children. 
Jesus, I think, this was the point of Jesus' story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15 is a story of, of, of parables that Jesus tells. And first, if you get a chance this week, read this, starting in about verse 11 through the end of the chapter of Luke chapter 15. You've probably, um, you've probably heard it, read it numerous, numerous times. Read it again, it's not going to hurt. But if you look at the whole chapter, there's a theme that's going through this. Rejoicing in being happy. When you're explaining God, do you explain a happy God that rejoices? I'm going to take my glasses off so I can't... Well, maybe I can see. I'll put them back on. This way I can't see your responses. I'm going to say this with all love in my heart. And please don't take offense. If you honestly believe that God loves you and rejoices over you, would you please tell your face? Some of you don't look too happy to be here. Some of you don't look too happy when you go out into the world. Yes, we are the light of the world, and sometimes that light affects the way we look. I'll shut up. Look at, the Jesus, look at the father in Luke chapter 15. The father has a son who comes in, a rebellious son, who uh, probably in his late teens, early 20s or something like that, when, when us guys are still not the sharpest tacks, not the sharpest crayons in the box. And, and he asked for his part of the inheritance. Well, that, that, that kind of means that daddy's going to have to split this up, figure out how much goes to the older son. The older son is supposed to get twice as much as the others. So kind of figure calculations, uh, how, many, how, many, uh, how much money do I have, how much animals, can blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. It's not a lot of work. But he complied. And he gave the son what he wanted or what he asked for. Sent him off, allowed him to leave, go out on his own and live his life uh, in an ungodly manner. And there are a, a lot of people who think that their God, their version of God, would have just pulled out the will and scratched that kid off and said, I'm not going to have anything to do with him from here on out. But if you read Luke chapter 15, that father is looking for that son. That father's heart was broken when he left. And it stayed broke for a long time. Until the boy came to his senses. Verse 20, he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him. If you don't see our God as the father who runs to embrace his children, you don't know God. Jesus has explained him. Jesus has explained him. How much do I love you? They asked Jesus. And Jesus said, this much. 
as he hung on the cross. I will do anything for you. I will do anything for you. Our God is not out to get us. Our God is out to receive us. He is out to save us. That is a, that's the whole point of him sending his son. God doesn't want us to have a corporate relation with him. He wants us to bring him home and get to know him and talk to him. Maybe gripe to him every once in a while. Maybe do a little whining. Who knows, maybe even laugh and talk as good friends should and do. We're going to pause for just a few minutes to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, if you're not familiar with this, if, you, if you're just visiting, we do have tables in the back that you can go there whenever, after we have our prayer, and you can partake of communion there. And um, we'll be back in just a minute. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, broke it with his disciples, shared the wine with them, and established what we refer to as the communion. We just partook of uh, the Lord's Supper. I, I, I prefer communion because communion implies a fellowship, getting together. Uh, up until the time that Jesus did this, the Israelites would partake of the Passover and they would remember the difficulties they had in Egypt. They would remember how that they put the blood on the, on the doorpost. They would remember how they prepared a meal, a physical meal that was rushed and hurried and probably wasn't all that tasty. And Jesus said, when you partake of this, remember me. Remember me. I love that song by Lauren Daigle. There are a lot of people in this world who don't think they are good enough for God. And that's because they're listening to some of us religious people. That's because they're listening to themselves. They're listening to so many voices and the voice they need to hear is God saying, I love you. Now, some of us religious people will want to say, no, but you've got to follow the rules. You've got to follow the rules. I tell you, and I think this is what Jesus was saying, you love God and you will want to do what he says. You fall in love with God and you will follow him to the ends of the earth. You won't have to be told what you have to do. The problem is, is we've tried to get people to follow rules without letting them see a father of love, a father who would die on the cross, a father that would give his life, that would give everything that he has, the most precious thing, just for people who don't deserve it. There's a story of... Uh, little old man who was sitting, probably my age, a little old man who was sitting in the park one day, he had his cane, and, uh, where'd you go? 
sitting over there with his cane. There you are, sitting over there with his cane, probably had a beard, something like that. He was just sitting on the park bench and he was, he was feeding the birds. And there's a little girl playing and she, she sees him and she gets her mother's permission. So she goes over to talk to him and on her way she trips and he, he gets up real slowly and he goes over and he helps her up comes over and she sits down on the, on the park bench next to him. And they have a sweet conversation about the birds and, and, and about the, the ribbon in her hair and just all of this kind of thing. And she had such a good time. And finally, her mo- mother motions that it's time for us to go. So she got up and, and walked off. And just a few steps down the road, she comes running back and she says, Hey, mister, are you God? And the old man says, no, I'm just related. I'm just his child. I'm just a child of his. And the little girl says, okay, it makes sense. I knew you had to be related to him somehow. (laughs) Okay. That's funny, but hopefully it gets the point home. I love my dad, but you know what? He annoyed the daylights out of me. Um, he had some, some habits. He used to sit in church, or stand in church. I don't, I don't know if my, my oldest daughter, or my daughter can remember this, but when he would stand in church, he would kind of rock like that. He had a strange habit of talking to strangers that probably didn't want him to talk to. That he would just go up and strike up a conversation. Boy, those were annoying. And they probably annoy my kids because I do the exact same thing. Have you ever noticed how you manage to grow up like your parents? Some of their good habits, some of their not so good habits. But have you ever noticed how that at the, towards the end of your life, you start looking more and more and start thinking more and more like your parents? Do you think and act like your father in heaven? I don't know why I'm talking into this. Do you think and act like your father in heaven? Could somebody in a park one day run up into you and say, are you God? Because you look so much like him, because you act so much like him. And they're probably not going to do that if, if, you, if you scold them. If your view of God is a harsh, mean old God, they're probably not going to run to, towards you. They'll run away from you. Well, after all, that's what's happening in churches, right and left. But if they saw family resemblance, I think people would be more receptive. I'm going to end with this verse, and we'll have an invitation. I don't know how much you look like God. Some of you are the very image of God sometimes to me, and I appreciate that. <clears throat> Why does all of this make a difference? What, you know, God is who he is. We can't change that. What difference does it make what we believe about him? Well, it makes a world of difference in how you live your life. I mentioned this, um, Peggy's obituary. 
Her two favorite verses was Zephaniah 3.17, which I read in the second. John 14.23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. We get that down, Pat. Obey the rules, obey the rules. And my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Does God want to come to your house? Yes. Did you know that? It's going to affect how you live your life. God wants to be with me. Have you messed up? Sure. We've all messed up. And we will continue to mess up. But our God wants to come and make his home with us. And if we follow in the steps of his son, Jesus Christ, we have that confidence that that homecoming will come. So when it comes time for us to die, we will have no regrets. We will look forward to that homecoming. And up until that time, it will affect the way that we live. Are you living like a Christian? Are you living like a person who believes in a God that loves you, that sings over you, that really, really, really is excited about coming to live with you? Are you living that way? Ask yourself that question while we stand and sing.